All right, everybody, how's everybody doing today? Doing good? All right. Hey, look, it is a blast to be with you today here at New Life Church. Uh, everybody worshiping with us at our Carney campus, at our online campus, which is, it, I mean, we got some great things in the future planned for our online campus. Um, and all of you that are worshiping with us at one of our other campuses, like North Platte or Ogallala, we are so glad that you guys are all here worshiping with us today. I get to wrap up our current teaching series called Kingdom Builders. And today, I can honestly say to you that I believe that today is one of it's just one of, all right? We have a number of these, but it's one of the most exciting weeks at New Life Church because today, church, you're going to have the opportunity to participate in what we call the miracle offering. A miracle offering. It's not an offering taken to keep the lights on at a church, okay? It's an offering taken for kingdom builders, for our kingdom builder partners. And uh, it, it's fantastic. We believe in being generous around here. So a couple of weeks ago, we brought in um, a couple of our Kingdom Builder partners. I brought in Joel Marbot from Ecuador. Anybody, anybody at any of our campuses was here for uh, Joel Marbot? Anybody? You got it? All right. Man, I mean, the dude, the dude came out of the jungles of Ecuador. 32 hours he traveled to be with us. He had a beard that was a manly beard, the kind of beard that you just don't know what's hiding in it. And when you're in the jungle, that kind of scares me, right? He had the man bun. I mean, he had it. look. He had the look. Like, he took the man bun down in my office, and I was like, Jesus. And so it was, it was his hair was long, his big beard, and I just didn't know. So anyways, what an incredible guy. I mean, amazing. And uh, he kind of gave us a message, and he basically said, look, guys, I think what you need to do if you want to be a kingdom builder is you got to ask yourself three critical questions. Can you see the harvest? Like, when you look out into the world, do you see the harvest, or do you see enemies? Do you see people who are against the gospel or do you see people who are right, ready to be reached for the gospel? Then he said, look, what are you asking for in prayer? Are you asking things in prayer just for yourself? Or are you praying what Jesus you know, commanded us to pray? That Look, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers, right? Send people out. Um, and then he said, look, where's your treasure? Is your treasure in the things that just bring you joy or is your treasure in the things that build God's kingdom? And that was a challenging message. Then last week, my friend Danny Izeri, uh, who is a missionary to Cuba, he was here. How many of you guys were here for Danny? I mean, come on. Man. Danny can talk a million miles a second. I mean, you ask him one question, it's like, you know, 45 minutes later, he breathes. And so... He's just like that. He's like full of energy, and man, he loves the Lord with all of his heart. And what powerful stories he told us about lives being changed, people finding Jesus, and lives changing in the communist country of Cuba. Uh, but then he ended it basically with just driving it home and saying, look, will you pick up your cross and will you follow Jesus? What will you sacrifice to follow Jesus? Today I want to wrap up our series, and I just, want to, I just really want to answer one question for you. Why are we called to be kingdom builders? Why? What is the why behind it? I want to help get to that for you. I want to help build the case of why is it that we should be kingdom builders with God? Like, Why is it not just good enough just to say, I've surrendered my life to Jesus? Why is it that we are called to be kingdom builders, to ask ourselves those three questions, to sacrifice Right, to pick up our cross, uh, to, to do without so that the kingdom can advance. And I want to help you understand that. First, kingdom builders really came out of the cause here at New Life Church. 
New Life Church has a cause. It's like what keeps our doors open. It's what wakes me up every day. It's what causes me to continue to want to be the pastor here. It's what you know, allows for this to be a place for you to come and to worship at all of our campuses. And our cause is simply this, to see people find Jesus and lives changed. That's our cause. That's why we exist. That's why we breathe. That, that's why we do ministry here, our cause. And the cause really came from me reading God's word and my heart for God, right? That's where the cause for our church came from. It, it really came from my desire to see us accomplish all that God has for us and try to summarize the gospel down to the real mission of why we are actually on this earth. Because when, I don't know about you, but for me, when I contemplate this world, I see the harvest. And when I think about the need on, on this planet of people hearing about Jesus for the very first time, my heart goes out and I go, I want to see people from our church and I want to be a part of the, the journey of others at other churches. I want to see people follow the vocational call of ministry. And I want this congregation to see its greatest treasure in advancing God's kingdom and seeing people find Jesus. Like, that's where I really want to see our greatest treasure be. I'm constantly looking for ways to pick up the cross and follow Jesus in more and more radical kind of ways. As this world gets more anti-Christian, your pastor is leaning in and figuring out, how can we lean into the darkest places? How can we be a partner with those who are reaching, reaching people for Jesus in some of the darkest places? That's where my heart goes. My heart doesn't go to the easiest place on the planet to, to you know, spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. My heart goes to the hardest place, the most difficult place, the place where the greatest price would be paid to preach the gospel. That, that's where this pastor's heart goes. And so I'm constantly looking for ways to like pick up the cross and follow Jesus for my personal life and for our church. I got a good friend, Ed Uden. He's up at our, uh, our VI, we call it the VIP booth. Um, it's our broadcast booth here at the Kearney Campus. Uh, video, internet, and production. So if you want to be a part of one of the coolest ministry teams, then you too on Sundays can hang out in the VIP booth um, up here at our Carney campus. Ed, Ed tells me often that, Jeff, look, I just want to, I want to let you know why I do what I do. And I go, well, tell me, Ed. I know what he's going to say. He t- always tells me the same thing. Look, there's only one thing. There's only one thing I can't do when I get to heaven. What is that, Ed? I can't tell people about Jesus. I want to be a part of telling people about Jesus while I'm on this earth. And that's why he's in that video booth, making sure that that message is going out online and going out to other campuses and things are happening and they're happening well. That's the motive behind his heart and that's this pastor's motive and that's what I wanna see happen in your life as well. But the second reason why I developed Kingdom Builders for our church is because I wanted to give us the opportunity to express radical generosity. Come on, tell, someone say, you know, open up your mouth and say it out loud, radical generosity. That's, that's where we want to be. And it's really because I believe in one of our core values, that you can't outgive God. I've watched it in my life. I've watched this principle take place in my personal finances, in my personal time, right, in my personal resources. Like, no matter what I've done, I have not been able to outgive God. I thought that, God, I gave you everything, and it's like God blesses me back. Or I thought I gave you everything, and then God gives me that extra burst of energy to go even farther. I love to be generous. That's who I am. When I see real need, I like to help meet real needs, 
And I know that this is a congregation just like that because I've worked with too many of you in specific situations where radical generosity was a part of your life. And I just got to tell you, that warms this pastor's heart. I'm excited about pastoring this church because this church is full of people that know the joy of being radical with their generosity. But guys, look, I also believe that there's a biblical model for our finances. This is the biblical model. We give first, we save second, and we live third. If you want to have a biblical, I mean, that's the simplest way I can say it. You want to have a biblical model for your finances, give first, be generous first, be obedient with your giving first, save second, be wise about your future, live third. If you follow that simple model, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be following a biblical model and you're going to be following a model that works every single time. So if we're going to talk about finances, then we have to identify the first aspect of biblical finances, and that's this. We've got to look at the tithe. God says this about the tithe in Malachi 3.10. He goes, look, bring all—in fact, would you just read this with me? Read it on the screens at all of our campuses and online, okay? Uh, bring all the tithe into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple— now, I'm not talking about tithe today, okay? I'm talking about radical generosity. And I know some of you are sitting there right now like that dog that gets that little bit of a whistle and your head kind of goes, like, like, what? What did he just say? Like, I thought that tithe was generosity. Like, what, what, what? You know, and I'm just letting you know today that tithing is not generosity. Tithing is obedient giving. And out of this one verse, we see these three things really standing out at us. First, we see this that we see that the tithe is to be brought to the storehouse, and the storehouse is whose house? It says it right there. Bring it to the storehouse so there will be food in my temple, in my house. And guys, look, God's house, you're in it right now. Secondly, this one simple little scripture, it teaches us this, that, look, we're supposed to bring the tithe so there will be food. What kind of food? Spiritual food and physical food, by the way. Jesus is the one who taught us that food can be spiritual. When the disciples came, they came back, and he was sitting next, in the well, next to the well, and he had been ministering to the woman, and they got food, and they brought it back to him, and Jesus said, look, I don't need that. I have food you know nothing of. There's a spiritual food, and when we bring the tithe into the storehouse, then the church is able to present spiritual food to people, but also practical food, meaning practical needs. And through Kingdom Builders, you see all these practical needs being met in Jesus' name and people finding Jesus through that type of compassion and love. But third, just from this simple little scripture, we see that you're not in control of God's tithe. I know you're going, but it was my money. Well, technically it was his first. He gave it to you. It was his. He gave it to you. He blessed you with it. And he goes, look, I want you to honor me with it. So it's not yours to control. You bring it to God's house. You don't get to spend it and invest it wherever you want to. Some people think that their tithe is like, oh, I'm going to give a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. Like, you're in control of it. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not a biblical model for tithe. God says, look, you bring it to my storehouse. You're not in control with it. You don't get to spread it around. This is what I want you to do with it. That's why tithe is called obedient giving. Once you got that figured out, then you can start looking at the generosity, of which is the reason why I launched Kingdom Builders. Generosity, and it's through our Kingdom Builder partners that we get to be generous. When you look at like local church evangelism and outreach, 
whether it's our church or it's other churches that we help do different outreach with, and we invest those dollars and they're sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people in their community, that's generous. Or through benevolence, or missionaries around the world, or planting churches so that more people can know the love of Jesus Christ, there's generosity. It's not just our church. We want other churches to be planted, right? Where we are, we're, we're a part of feeding the hungry, um, responding to devastation and destruction that's happening around the world. We're rescuing women and children from human trafficking. We're freeing young men from drug addiction and alcohol addiction. We're educating future pastors in foreign countries so that they can you know, plant more churches. We're, we're giving hope to kids and, and to teens that are caught up in foster care. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter what Kingdom Builder partner I mentioned, and I just tap the surface. I give you the tip of the iceberg. Every one of our Kingdom Builder partners, when we invest dollars, that generosity is being, is being converted into souls finding Jesus or lives being changed. So I believe it's totally clear that the tithe is the, is the obedient giving. And once we figure that out in our lives, then we can add generosity on top of that. So Kingdom Builders helps us to express generosity. But there's one last reason why we have Kingdom Builders. And that's, that's really this. And it's a huge bonus and that's because Kingdom Builders gets your heart lined up with God's heart. Now that's good. That's the real reason. What does Kingdom Builders do? When you, when you are participating in Kingdom Builders, when you're participating in that generosity, right? When you're a part of helping people find Jesus, even in places that you're never going to go. When, when you give on top of your tithe to Kingdom Builders and through Kingdom Builders, you're capturing God's heart. What is God's heart? God's heart is for the lost, that they might be saved. Look at these two verses very quickly. 2 Peter 3.9, it says that the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise in that he would return a second time, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God's going, look, I want my church to be with me in heaven but I care a lot about the people who haven't heard about my son for the first time. That's what he's saying right there. And what about the classic verse, John 3, 16, which in whatever version you memorized it in, let me give it to you in the New Living Translation. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and his only son so that anyone and everyone who believes in him will not perish but have what? Eternal life. This is God's heart, guys. This is what beats in the heart of God. And what is a kingdom builder? When you participate in kingdom builders, you're participating in replicating God's heart inside of you and developing it in others to see people be reached for Jesus and have their lives changed. I think one of the greatest places in Scripture that you can find God's heart really being developed about this issue of reaching the lost is in Luke chapter 15. Now, if you've got your iPhone or your smartphone, uh, I put all the notes on version, and you can get them all there right now. But let me just break down Luke 15 very quickly for you. Jesus often taught in parables. Parables were a way for him to take a principle that might be a very difficult principle or a deep principle or something of God's heart and convey it in a way that people could understand. Now, sometimes he used those parables to, to you know, like divide people. Who's going to get it? Who's not going to get it? Right? Because sometimes they were a bit like cryptic a little bit. And he wanted to know who's going to lean in and who's just going to brush it off and walk away. And so he normally would communicate in parables all through the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, 
um, in Luke. You don't see as many parables in John. Um, there's a one or two. But you, that's his way, right? And normally, Jesus would use one parable to communicate one point. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, you see that Jesus would sometimes use more than one um, you know, parable to communicate a point. But very uniquely in Luke chapter 15, you see that Jesus uses three parables to address one issue. And this is the reason why he did it. you got to understand the contents or the context, excuse me, of where and what was going on. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them these stories. So look at the context, right? Here's Jesus. He's teaching people, like right now, and there are these legalistic religious leaders that are in his midst, and they are totally ticked off that unsaved people would be able to sit and listen to Jesus. And they start accusing Jesus of basically being a sinner himself, hanging out with them. Like, they just can't get over the fact that these people, they need to go get their lives right. You know, that the church is made for us. The people that got it all figured out is what they were saying. And the sinners need, need go get your lives right before you come back and you sit down and you listen to Jesus. And this same attitude is still happening in the church today. It's unfortunate, but it's, it's there, right? So Jesus said, in light of the fact that you don't really get the heart of my Father, in light of the fact that you don't understand why I came, I came to seek and save the lost, let me help you really get it. And he goes, I'm going to tell you a parable about a shepherd and some sheep. Luke chapter 15, verse 4. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and his neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And right off the bat, Jesus gets their attention. He goes, oh, you guys thought it was about you. No, you got left over here in the wilderness. The heart of God went after the one that was lost. Oh, and by the way, when he found the lost one, you thought that he should like, you know, really judge the lost one and he should condemn the lost one and, and he should berate the lost one, but instead he loves the lost one and he puts the lost one up on his shoulders and he carries the lost one back home. He doesn't drag the lost one like, how dare you, you know, run away. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't abuse the lost one. He puts the lost one up on his shoulders and he carries them back and the whole time you can kind of see the anger stirring up inside of these re legalistic religious leaders. Like, how dare you say that that's how God would be. And that when he came back, he threw a large party for the one who was lost that's been found. That was God's heart. And then it was like Jesus looking into the eyes of these religious leaders, realizing, I don't think you guys are, tr are truly getting it. Let me tell it to you another way. Let me, let, me, let me tap on something that maybe you understand, like your money. And so he goes into verse 8 and he says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and her neighbors and say, Hey, rejoice with me because I've found my lost coin. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. 
And he goes, do you get it now? Right? Do you understand? Like, you, you like your money, and if you lost some money, wouldn't you do anything you had to to try to search for it? This is God's heart. This is my Father's heart for the lost. This is his attitude. He's doing whatever he can to seek and save lost people. He's searching after them. He's going after them. He's using every resource that he has in his power to go after them. When he finds them, he lets everybody know the lost has been found. Let's throw a big party. Come on, people. And he looked at them, and he was like, I don't think some of you are still getting it. I'm going to have to go to a third one. I'm going to make it more personal now. I'm going to make it about you and your family. I'm going to make it about a son. And he starts telling them about a father who has two sons, and the younger son you know, just wants to get away, and he just wants to rebel, and he asks for his inheritance early, which is unnatural. And the father, out of compassion and love, gives him the very thing that's going to hurt him. He knows the young son doesn't know how to use it well. He knows the young son is going to spoil it. He knows the son's going to run off and he's going to waste it, but yet he gives it to him anyways. And the son runs off. And we understand that the father's heart was that he went about his normal business, but that he would constantly go back to the path where the son ran away and he would look down the path and he would say, where's my son at? And then one day, all of a sudden, he looked down that path, and there was his son. His son was coming back because he thought to himself, like, I've wasted everything. I got nothing left, right? At least my father treats his workers good. I'll go back and try to work for him. I know I can't be his son again. But the father saw him while he was a long ways off, and he goes running after him, and he grabs a hold of him. Can you imagine what the son is thinking when the father's bolting it down the path? I mean, can you imagine? Like, he already thinks he's, he's, he's going to get it, right, when he gets there. And now the father's running down the path? Like, oh, oh, man, holy cow. Maybe I need to, like, just hide her. I don't know what to do. I can't get out of this. But he embraces him, and he hugs him, and he gives him a kiss, and he tells him, welcome home. And he restores him as a son. You know what that means? He just got another inheritance. Man, I don't know of an earthly father that would do that with a son. But that's God's heart for his people. That the lost had returned and he threw a massive party for his son. Saving the lost is so important to God's heart that Jesus used three parables in a row to drive home the point. If you don't get the sheep, maybe you'll get the coin. If you don't get the coin, then maybe you'll get the son. This is God's heart for the lost today as well. And God is patiently waiting to send his son back for those who believe in him so that there's still people in this world that could hear about the gospel message for the very first time. But there's something else that recently stood out to me from this passage. And that's this. I don't believe that the shepherd who leaves the 99 is being irresponsible. I don't believe that the shepherd who leaves the 99 is, you know, being, uh, being a person that abandons the church to go after the one. I don't think that it's just saying that, you know, that God's going, look, I don't care about those who are already saved, and I only care about those who are lost. I don't think that that's what's going on here. I think what's really going on is this, that when the picture is given and the shepherd goes his way, and God goes his way after the lost, he isn't suggesting that the sheep have to stay where they're at, I believe God's going, I want you to walk the path with me. I want you to join with me in seeking and saving the lost because that's also in God's word, that we are a part of the mission. 
God's not leaving us behind. He's blazing the trail for you and me to be a part of his mission. And that when he's looking for the lost coin, he's inviting us to give all that we can to go after the lost son and the lost daughter that's out there. And when the, when the lost son walks back in, he's inviting us to celebrate when the lost are found. There should be joy in the house of the Lord when the lost are found. There should be excitement in our hearts when we're hearing stories of our kingdom builder dollars at work and people are finding Jesus and lives are being changed. Why? Because it's the same joy that's happening in God's heart today. That's it. And guys, that's authentic Christianity. And anything else is a fake. And God's inviting all of us to live this authentic Christianity where we join with him to seek and save the lost, where we celebrate when the lost come home. And there's no one that understood this as good as a man of a story that I recently read from the Titanic. You remember the story of the Titanic, right? April 10th, 1912. The greatest ship at its time that had ever been built is getting ready to set sail from the Southampton, England, and it's going to make its journey, a maiden journey across the Atlantic to New York. It's a fantastic ship. It's the most advanced ship of its time. 2,200 passengers and crew board that ship, and it sets sail. But on April 14th, when they were about 400 miles off the coast of Newfoundland, at around 11.40 p.m., we all know the story, it struck that iceberg. It was just right there in front of them. The reports had been coming in, but the reports never made it to the captain who was already asleep. And so they were just trying to watch off the bow with some kind of like light, light up the ocean. And they saw this thing and they had like 30 some seconds to try to avoid it, but yet it just gouged a hole in the side of it. And the unsinkable ship started taking on its water. And the calls started going out almost immediately. Women and children to the lifeboats. Women and children to the lifeboats. But it took quite a long time for people to ever start getting on the lifeboats. The iceberg hit it at 1140. It was 1245 now, a.m. on the 15th, when the first lifeboat goes down into the water, primarily filled with women and children, and then a couple of men so that they could row. The problem is, is that on the Titanic, they only had enough lifeboats to save 1,200 people. There was 2,200 people on board. That's not going to work out well. Women and children are being loaded on the boats, and they're being lowered down into the water. And for the next hour and 30 minutes, boats are being lowered down into the water. Most of them are only half full at their max. And the boats are scattering away from the larger ship so they don't get sucked back in, and so they don't get pulled back under as the boat is sinking. And then at 2.18 a.m., the Titanic snaps in half, and it sank within moments to a two-mile-deep grave. 1,500 people lost their lives that morning on April 15th. We all know that story, but do you know the story of the man called John Harper? John Harper was on the boat. John Harper is a pastor, Pastor John Harper, from a thriving church in Glasgow, Scotland. He had grown this little church into something dynamic, 
And he had boarded this ship because he was going to be heading back to the United States to speak at the Moody Church in Chicago. He was going to speak for three months because the year before he had been there and he had spoke for three months and the power of God moved in such a way that the people had to have him back again. In fact, some rumors and some people uh, speculated that they were actually inviting him back and offering him to be the senior pastor of Moody Church that day. And John Harper, he boarded that ship, but he was really planning on going on another ship a few days ahead of this. But when he heard about the Titanic and its opportunity, then he changed his tickets and he went on the Titanic. And he took his youngest daughter, his only daughter, six years old, um, and her name is Annie Jessie, and her aunt to help along. He took him along with him. John Harper had been widowed a couple years before this. And when the call went out, women and children to the lifeboats, John Harper took his young daughter and her aunts and they took them and put them on a lifeboat, one of the early lifeboats to get off the Titanic. And then John Harper was heard going up and down the corridors and going door to door and wherever people would listen. And he was saying, women and children and the unsaved to the lifeboats. He had changed the, he had changed the cadence. To him, it was, let's get the women and children, but also there's the unsaved, because I know where I'm going to go. I know I'm going to heaven, but I don't know about everyone else. And so the unsaved, they need to get to the lifeboats as well. John Harper, he went all over the place trying to make sure that people would find Jesus and lives would be changed, even though this ship was going down. And while the Titanic was sinking, John Harper was caring about building God's kingdom Pastor John Harper was also reported as a man from the witnesses that were, that were rescued off the Titanic as being one who was also going around. And he would, after he would say, women and children and the unsaved to the lifeboats, and he would turn around and he would say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved today. And he went up and down the aisles telling as many people as would listen. And one man told him, look, I don't want anything to do with this Jesus thing. And he took off his life vest and he gave it to the man. And he says, tonight, sir, you're going to need this more than me. Because he knew where he was going. But he wanted to make sure that the lost had one more opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Eventually, Pastor John Harper found himself drifting in the waters of the Titanic as recorded by witnesses again, that they saw him attempting to swim in the swell of the water and that ocean to people. And as he would get closer to people and a group of people, he would yell out, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved tonight. You could hear the screams of people as they were freezing in the water and the lifeboats had drifted away and no lifeboats were coming back. In fact, people in the lifeboats said, we got to go rescue those people. But the majority of the lifeboats would say, no way. No, we can't go back and get them because if we go back, then man, we might go under ourselves. Like, we can't do that. And only boats 4 and 14 ever made it back to rescue anyone. And we know historically it's recorded they only rescued like six or seven. That was it that night. In the midst of all that chaos, as Pastor John Harper is trying to survive in this water and his body's becoming hypothermic and the swell is taking him from place to place. He comes near a man and he says to a man, are you saved, sir? The man said, no. He told him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. 
as the swells took him away and as it was God's will, he came back to that same man again and he says to the man, now are you saved? The man said, no. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And right then a swell overtook Pastor John Harper and that was the last that we had ever seen, last we've ever heard of Pastor John Harper. Seconds later, that man was rescued by boats 4 or 14. And we know this story to be true because four years after this moment, they had a reunion for the survivors of the Titanic in Canada. And this man got up in front of all of the other survivors, and he looked at them and he said, did you know about the pastor John Harper? The man who was saying, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And he told the story of him coming and meeting with him in the waters twice. And he goes, I want you to know tonight that I, that night, I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and I was saved. I became the last convert of Pastor John Harper. Now that's a man who understood what it was like to build the kingdom of God. And I'm just asking here tonight, who, who are the John Harpers in the house tonight? Who are the people that are, that are recognizing this world's going down like the Titanic is going down, and this world needs to be saved? Who's got the urgency in their heart that goes, man, I want to do whatever it takes to rescue the lost. I want to do whatever it takes to see one more people find Jesus. Where are the John Harpers in the house today? Will you just attempt to save yourself, or will you actually truly be a part of saving others? We're going to have to sacrifice something to save others, like John Harper sacrificed to save others, right? And to do that today, I want to invite you to be a part of something, I think, profound. I want you to, I want you to participate as being a kingdom builder and financially participate in the miracle offering today, the delta between what we committed at the beginning of the year to our missionaries and our mission partners, to compare to like... What we, what we still need, we still need $86,144. That's nothing for a church of our size, right, of multiple services and three different campuses, but yet it's still a miracle, and I want every single one of you to be able to participate in that, whether it's $2,000 or it's $20, whether it's just fulfilling your commitment that you made this year like Kim and I are going to do today, or it's making a commitment because you've never been a kingdom builder. Make a commitment today. Be the John Harper of today, right? Let's let our lives collide with others, and let's let them know that if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this year, that they can be saved. And let's together, let's see what God can do through our lives, but it's going to take a sacrifice. So everybody was given an offering envelope, except for you that are online. You can give online, by the way. But you can go to mindnewlifechurch.com, even while we worship, and you can give and be a part of the miracle offering. Or you can take the offering envelope and you can put money in it, you can drop it off in a box or you can bring it down to the front and lay it on the steps and pray while we, while we respond to worship at all of our campuses. If you've already given online, I just want you to put the amount that you gave and just underneath it put online, right? And then take that off that envelope and drop it in one of the bu buckets or put it up here in the front. If you don't have an offering envelope at our campuses, put your hand up. Right? And one of our hosts will help give you one. Because I want every single one of you to be like John Harper today. I don't want us to be like the selfish people that rode away in the lifeboats and didn't save people. I want us to be like the John Harper. And I want us to save people. I want us to be a part of you know, helping people find Jesus and see their lives changed. So would you do this with me at all of our campuses? Would you stand with me? As we go into this time of worship, 
All of us have a response. All of us have something to do to be a part of this. And the sacrifice today is a sacrifice financially. God also asks us to sacrifice our time, our resources. But today the call, the call goes out to, to this church, New Life Church. Will you be a kingdom builder? Will you be like a John Harper? Will you sacrifice something so that others might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that today your word continues to ring true. Your word is powerful and it communicates, it communicates the true essence of your heart. That you love this world so much that you sent your one and only son into this world so that we might be saved, that our lives might be changed and transformed. And Lord, I, I love you for that. Lord, I don't want to just take it for granted. I don't want to just like waste it on myself, God. I, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Today is a great opportunity, it's a very practical way for us. It comes through the sacrifice of our giving. But may we give up something like John Harper gave up his life vest to save another one. May we give up something like John Harper gave up his own energy to swim from one man to another to tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. May we sacrifice something, Lord, that lets one more person come to the saving grace of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their life. I pray that for this church. I pray that they would discover the joy, the joy of being generous, the joy of the sacrifice of the giving, knowing that when we give to you, you do incredible things with it. In Jesus' name, amen.